Uh, Dearly Father, we want to thank you for your powerful word, Lord. We continue to look to your word to uh, find wisdom and guidance in our lives. Uh, help us today as we learn from Ecclesiastes, uh, just to see how meaningless and fruitless some of our labors in our daily life may be, but not to feel despondent because of that, but to find our hope and purpose in you alone, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the stream comes from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is filled of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God, and the Lord be with you. Well, uh, as always, it's a joy to be with you uh, this morning, and I'd like to thank the um, TGCC leadership team, uh, and especially Pastor Joseph, for inviting me to preach this morning. It's a, it's a, it's a great privilege. And of course, we rejoice and praise God for the lifting of some restrictions last week. But I mean, let's not minimize uh, and forget the impact of his second wave of um, COVID-19. I don't know how you've been feeling for the past few months, but if you feel anxious, uh, stressed, um, worried, or even overwhelmed, you're not alone. As you can read in a, in a recent newspaper article, I quote, more than one million Australian 
have sought mental health treatment with a 30% rise in cases in Victoria over the past four weeks. That was back in September and October. I mean, does that surprise you? I don't think it should actually. I don't think it should. I mean, think about it. When you lose your stability, your safety, your security, when you lose your job or even your health, I mean, you suddenly realize that life is fragile and fleeting. And I think that's what the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet in Hebrew, the teacher, is saying to us. I mean, look again at chapter one, verses one and two with me. The words of a teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In Ecclesiastes, the word meaningless, uh, hevel in Hebrew, refers to what is temporary, transitory. In Ecclesiastes, meaninglessness is a bit like the breath of your mouth. If you try to catch the breath of your mouth into your hand, what happens? Well, you can't, can you? Why? Because it evaporates, it vanishes, it disappears. It doesn't last. And if you don't believe me, give it a try. Try to catch your breath in your mouth. You see, that's what Ecclesiastes means when he says that everything is meaningless. Everything evaporates, vanishes, and disappears. Everything is fleeting, fragile, and frustrating, disappointing. And why is that? Well, I think the answer, or at least part of the answer, is in verse 15 of our text this morning. Something is crooked and twisted in our world. Something is crooked. Something is crooked because what the Bible called sin entered the world through one man, Adam, who cut himself off from God, the creator, by disobeying him. You see, that's what happens when you decide to cut yourself off from the creator and the giver of life. Life is a mess. And at the end of the day, you die. That's what meaninglessness is all about. Hence, look at verse 3. What do people gain from all the labors at which they toil under the sun? In other words, what's the point of living? In everything is meaningless. If everything disappears, if nothing lasts, what's the point? What's the point of studying, of working hard during the week? What's the point of buying your house and paying off a mortgage if a house you're building is demolished? And if we die tomorrow, what's the point? If we live in a world where everything is meaningless, we are doomed to look for the meaning of life in this world without finding it. And I think, I think that's what the teacher wants to tell us in the first chapter of his book. If, if we look for the meaning of life in this world, we are doomed to live without finding it. I've got four points this morning, very briefly. 
First of all, verse four to seven, the meaning of life cannot be found in the nature of this world. Secondly, verse eight to 11, the meaning of life cannot be found in the history of the world. Thirdly, the meaning of life cannot be found in the wisdom of the world, verse 12 to 18. And last but not least, my, my main idea this morning, my big point, because there is a God, the meaning of life can only be found in him. But before we continue, I'd like to say I'm very much indebted to John Stotts, an Anglican minister and theologian, who helped me understand the logic uh, of this passage in one of his sermons, which you can find on the All Souls website, www.allsouls.org. So first of all, verse four to seven, the meaning of life cannot be found in the nature of the world. In these verses, the teacher wants us, almost forces us to observe the world very carefully. Look at verse four. The earth remains the same, even when generations of people come and go. Look at verse five. The sun rises and sets. Look at verse six. The wind goes round and round. You know, it's a bit like in the song, the wheels on the bus go round and round, which I will not sing this morning. Sorry. Look at verse seven. The sea is never full even when the streams of water flow, it, flow into it because water evaporates. You see, the world in which we live is basically, basically a treadmill. We get up in the morning, we work, we eat, we sleep, and then we die. I mean, is that what life is all about? It reminds me of a Greek myth of Sisyphus, a cunning king, who was punished by having to roll up a huge stone up a hill, only for it to roll down as he approaches the top. In a way, this is the reality of the world in which we live. So you see, the meaning of life cannot be found in the nature of the world, because the natural world itself is subject to meaninglessness. It doesn't last, it goes round and round, and it's nowhere. But if the meaning of life cannot be found in the nature of the world, could it be found in the history of the world? Well, the answer is no. And that's our second point this morning. The meaning of life cannot be found in the history of the world, verses eight to 11. Look at verse eight with me again. All things are not only meaningless, but also wearisome, boring, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its feeling of hearing. In other words, we drink, but we keep being thirsty. We eat, but we keep being hungry. Just like the rolling stones, we can get no satisfaction. Because look at verse 9. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, it doesn't mean that what people say, see, hear, or do is bad in itself, but that all these things, all these things will pass into oblivion. Look again at verse 10 and 11. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. 
it was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow him. I mean, who can remember the name of their grandparents? Okay, maybe a few people. Who can remember the name of a great, great parents? Okay, maybe a few people. Okay, who can remember the names of a great, great grandparents? You see, in the same way, our children's children, children will not remember us one day. We will be forgotten. So the meaning of life cannot be found in the history of the world because nothing lasts, because everything will be forgotten, because there is nothing new under the sun. But you might object, hey, what about the industrial evolution? What about rock and roll? What about men walking on the moon? What about uh, antibiotics? What about Medicare? What about Facebook? And what about the latest iPhone? Isn't that something new? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I think in this chapter, the author of Ecclesiastes is not so much talking about quantity, but about quality. Quality. Even if people can make and invent more things, they will still be the same. They will not change. Do you understand why? As human beings, we are basically stuck in the same space-time condition, which is characterized by two things, meaninglessness and mortality. We will all die one day, and that, that will never change. I think that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. As we say in French, I thought we could uh, practice our French a little this morning. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Plus ça change, the more it changes, plus c'est la même chose. The more it's the same. So the meaning of life cannot be found in the history of the world because nothing lasts, because history repeats itself and there's nothing new, nothing new under the sun. But if the meaning of life cannot be found in the nature of the history of the world, can it be found in the wisdom of the world? Well, again, I'm afraid the answer is no. And that's our third point this morning. The meaning of life cannot be found in the wisdom of the world. Verses 12 to 18. Look at verse 13, for instance. The teacher applied his mind to study and explore everything by wisdom. He has increased in wisdom. Now, verse 16, he has experienced much wisdom and knowledge. He applied himself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. And if you read chapter 2, you can read that the, uh, the, the author has tried chewing himself with wine. Maybe he was French, actually. He undertook great projects. He built houses and planted vineyards. He made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. He also amassed, stored up silver and gold and became greater than anyone. 
in Jerusalem. He denied himself absolutely nothing. His eyes desired. But guess what? Guess what? Look at verse 14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. Chasing, a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom come much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. So friend, this morning you will be happy to know that life is basically meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Unless, unless there is an eternal reality which is not subject to meaninglessness and death, unless there is a creator in the light of whom everything, absolutely everything makes sense. I mean, think about it. Um, wouldn't that make sense after all? If the meaning of life cannot be found in this life, in the nature of the world, in the history of the world, in the wisdom of the world, wouldn't it make sense to find it somewhere else, not under the sun, but above the sun, not in us, but in God, who is just mentioned one, once in our passage this morning. Did you see it? Look again at verse 13. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Now that's very interesting. In other words, it's God himself who is behind our quest and our search for meaning. So if you're looking for the meaning of life this morning, it is because there is a God who wants you to look for him and to find him. You see, there is hope. There is hope because there is a God. And the purpose of life, the point of life, is to live for him. And that's my fourth and my last point this morning, which is also the main idea of my talk. Because there is a God. Because there is a God. The meaning of life can only be found in him. Listen to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, the, uh, verse 13 and 14. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. This is the duty of all mankind. This is our duty, my duty, your duty. Fear God and keep his commandments. But there is a problem. The problem is that no one fear God and keep his commandments perfectly. No one, except, except for one man, Jesus Christ who entered the world to live a perfect life we could never live and die the death we deserve for our crookedness. You see, there is hope, there is hope, because Jesus paid the price of our foolishness, of our folly, 
there is hope because Jesus rose again. He conquered death. He defeated what makes life meaningless. Death. To give us a living hope if we repent and trust in him. And that's what the gospel is all about. I'd like to finish with a few applications for us this morning in the light of this passage. If you think uh, that the meaning of the point of life is to live for yourself and to be happy, I'm afraid that you will be completely crushed when suffering comes along in your life. You see, your reason for living happiness will be completely shattered. That's why I think we need to find a reason for living which transcends, which goes beyond suffering and the temporary things of the world. So, for example, if you're single, don't live to get married at all costs. Don't spend your time looking desperately for the perfect husband or the perfect wife, which who does not exist, I'm afraid. And I'm sorry to disappoint you if that's the case. Don't live exclusively to get married. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Make the most of your singleness to serve the Lord in undivided devotion by spending time with your non-Christian friends, for instance, especially now that we can meet people outside, to have a chance to share your life and the gospel with them. Once you're married, you won't have as much time to do this. Now, if you're married, uh, love and help each other at home, doing the dishes or uh, doing the, the washing, especially if you've got young children. But make it a priority. Plan to read your Bible and pray every day. If you don't plan, you just don't pray. Because life is just too busy. So maybe I need to get up 15 minutes early in the morning to be able to read my Bible and to pray. I'm currently using a, a devotional book by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Songs of Jesus. It's a devotional on the Psalms. And I also use an, a free app, which you can download on your phone called Prayer Mate. And it's a great way for me to, to push myself because it gives strict structure to my prayer lives. I've got a, a few people to pray for, uh, a devotional uh, by John Piper called Solid Joy, and also a Bible passage to meditate upon. If you're retired, invest yourself in the life of a church, if, if you can, of course, and if you're not already involved. If you have a job, uh, take it seriously, of course, but don't live for it. Instead, work and serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6. In the same way, don't live for sex, money, power, alcohol, coffee, or AFL. I mean, especially AFL. Because you will never, never have enough. And it won't last for this world in its present form is passing away, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Live for something else. 
live for something bigger, live for something better, live for God, live for Christ, who can not only give you the eternal security that you're looking for, but also meaning, meaning to your life. If you read the Gospel of John in the New Testament, uh, it's quite interesting to, to find out that Jesus is the Logos in John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the word, which basically refers to the meaning behind the universe, the reason why the world, you and me, have been created. We've basically been made to live for him. You might know that quote from Augustine, a famous uh, Christian thinker and theologian and philosopher. And this is what he said in his book called uh, uh, Confessions, which I encourage you to read. It's, it's a beautiful and marvelous book. This is one of the most famous quotes from his book. You have made us for yourself, O God, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And if you keep reading the, uh, the New Testament, you will also find that Christ and Ecclesiastes, interestingly, sometimes speak the same language. I mean, do you remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Doesn't that remind us of Ecclesiastes? What's the point of living for this world if we're going to lose everything? One day, what's the point of living for this world if you lose our soul? So don't live for this world, but live for God. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray to finish. Creator God, thank you for revealing us the meaning of life and for giving us a living hope for the death and resurrection of your son from the dead. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would renew our faith, our trust in you, but also our hope and our desire to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.